The withering war is over, but the battle rages on in the hearts of the people. Proverbs of Sartorius. Heaps of armor lie strewn across great battlefields, with bloody weapons at their side, and many suits of armor still contained broken bodies within. The whimpers and cries of a thousand men and women, muffled by the low droning of a constant wind. Coagulated blood glistened crimson upon a once green pasture, like rubies encased in a green mountain. Even the earth moaned, for the invasive blood crept within the cracks and crevices of her surface, clogging the dirt with an unholy substance. Broken siege weapons lie crushed to pieces, reduced back to the basics of their creation. And through it all, one man remained upright, within the sea of destruction. His eyes were aflame, lit blue by birth, but stained through from the tears of pain. His knuckles clenched, and the blood drained from his face, the anguish enrapturing him in cold embrace. He looked to the sky and silently mouthed a short prayer. Never again. I am the preceding darkness, and this is the saga of stories. Chapter 1, Hunger and Suffering. Part 1, The Tears of Elisheim. Setting, the Pale Moon Empire. The sapphire pommel of the beautiful sword reflected a thin beam of light into the king's eyes, and the scent of deep musk and roses announced the approach of a great man. Grand General Sartorius stopped a respectful distance from his grieving king, kneeling upon one knee and remaining in silence until called. The king gave him a quick glance but denied him a full view. Each one of them was a life under my command. King Elisheim breathed the words barely clinging to composure. The kneeling general responded, you did what you could to protect them. They gave their lives willingly. The king gave a small gesture and the general rose from his knees to move closer to the king's side. He said nothing further, content to offer his presence as consolation. As the king moved through the corpses, one moved its arms and called to him, My king, my life for yours, please kill me. The pain, it's too much to bear. Elisheim kneeled beside the broken man's body and laid his hand upon his forehead. You fought well, soldier. May your journey to the next life be with peace. He then mouthed the silent white chant upon his lips and the faint shimmering of a magic spell could be seen settling upon the man's face, and he breathed easier for a few more breaths, and then breathed his last. The king looked to Sartorius, and his eyebrows rose. What came to our aid? The general shook his head, indicating no knowledge. I know not, my king. The more important question is, why? The king looked at him inquisitively. Sartorius continued, the why is of grand importance, for we do not know what they want and if they should return. I have never seen the Magisters withdraw from battle, and the Valor Beastmen struck down like nothing. And what of my grandfather? Sartorius shifted his weight onto his left leg, leaning in a reassuring stance. He is safe. He was not on the battlefield when the fighting began, but he is on his way now, no doubt with a message of great import. At the finish of the general's statement, the sound of hooves and carriage wheels could be heard entering from the distance. 
and the grandfather of Elisheim waved to his grandson upon his approach. Hisham the wise, they called him, lending to his vast knowledge of the history of the lands, of strategies, and of lores. The grandfather and eldest advisor to the king rushed towards his progeny, grabbing him with a great embrace. He then broke away, looking upon his condition. Tears are for regret and of things lost, young Elisheim. Do not be in loss for those who gave their lives, for truly they have lost nothing and gained everything. Hisham continued, I have been told of the accounts which took place within the battle, and I have not heard its like. He then laughed a little. Your mother is concerned and beside herself, convinced utterly of divine interference. General Sartorius shook his head, saying, The divine have been absent from this world for as long as histories recall and they are loath to intercede in our affairs. Hisham looked to the armor-clad general. Your logic and rationality is appreciated, but there are some things in this world that cannot be explained through reason alone. To this, Sartorius responded, if reason alone is not enough, then enough reason has not been used. At this, the general walked away seeking to end the conversation there. Hisham allowed his departure, returning his attention back to his grandson. Elisheim looked to him, and his eyes were the remnants of a thousand tears dropped. Hisham's heart relented again. Come, my boy, this place shall only bring you more grief. Let us return to Castle Pale Grave. Your mother would never forgive me if I kept you even a moment longer than necessary. Elisheim looked to his grandfather. But what of the bodies? Hisham replied, the technicians of Ravan are en route and the priestess of Ravan will consecrate them. Come, our time here is finished. Elisheim looked one last time at the fallen soldiers and proceeded to the carriage with his grandfather. Your sacrifices will not be forgotten. Hunger and Suffering, Part Two. Rathos and the Vala. Setting the Kingdom of Vala. And what of the people, growled a burly, bearded man as he sat upon his throne. White streaks of paint streaked upon the sides of his body, with the pelt of three lions strewn upon his shoulders and a covering garment. His spear like the tooth of a dragon shaped in five prongs, which protruded from its northernmost extremity. Partial claws ripping through the man's fingertips, the remnants of a transformation not so long ago abandoned. Commander Rathos, his first general, responded. They are in great suffering, my lord king. They grieve their sons who did not return, and many of our women are preparing to depart on a mission to bring their bodies back themselves. Stop them, said the king. Those men lie within the veils of the enemy, and their soldiers linger still. We also do not know the nature of our unseen foe. Rathos' eyebrows quivered fiercely, and his corsair savagery nearly led him to a word in rebuke but he stayed his discontent. He nodded in agreement and bowed his head slightly, turning upon his cloak, exiting the throne room. The king of the Valis sat upon his throne, contemplative. His consort from nights prior sauntered from the shadows, red silks fluttering effortlessly behind her. The fragrance of deep saffron enshrouding every nose, she laid her hand upon his thigh. The attendants in the king's room remained in unwavering prostration, in two rows separated by a golden embroidered red carpet. 
The chair maidens waved great leaves upon the king, upon their king, and they chanted his name softly. King Sakahas, King Sakahas, closed his eyes, grabbing onto their chants and recalling the accounts of the battle. He did not suffer defeat easily, and the wounds which lie upon him bled greatly, though no blood flowed. For this warrior, the wounds of pride bore more weight than the Valor Mountains. He felt the massaging hands of his consort upon his shoulders, and he relaxed a bit, only allowing a grimace upon his face. Rathos exited the king's hall, and upon seeing the well-clad knight, the people called to him through the gates. Please, Lord Knight, a bit of alms or food or water. My family starves, cried another. A young child slipped through the gate and ran to him, clinging upon the grieve of his left leg. Please, my lord, if you walk away now, my mum won't survive. Rathos looked into the eyes of the boy. Take me to her. Led down the cobbled streets, the people backed away from him, placing their backs upon their homes and their stalls, careful not to impede the path of the general. The child pulled him along, leading him into a small hut, with small puffs of white smoke rising from the chimney. The house smelled familiar, and his memory flashed to his prior life, a black trade corsairman, robbing and pillaging the lands for profit. The smoke which wafted through the rooms he could recognize as Nightwail, a colorful herb from Magus, which induced malaise. His inner instincts called to him, but before it could finish its warning, he heard the moaning from the rearmost room of the hut. The child pointed to the door, and then shyishly stepped away, indicating that he should enter. The general stepped into the room, and dodged left just as a two-handed axe swung within the space that he had just evaded. In one quick motion, Rathos drew his sword and spun towards the assailants. Two large, tattooed men sneered, both brandishing axes. You assault the king's guard, citizen. Stand down, he commanded and the two men sneered more widely, revealing rotten rows of long-neglected teeth. You think you're better than us, night boy? We're starving while you fight your wars and drag us through the mud. No, you will die and your king is next. Rathos exploded into action, his sword angling a center line between both men as his back leg pivoted in an impossibly quick arc, and both the men yelled in terror as one slice cut through their stomach, revealing only gut and blood as no food had been within for weeks. They dropped their axes, clutching their organs, trying to hold them in while simultaneously cursing. The whimpering woman remained in a corner of the room with her face buried inside of her dress. Don't kill me, they made me do it. The child screamed loudly, running into the street, disappearing into the throng of crowds outside. Rathos exited the house quickly, sensing possible retribution if he lingered. He wiped the blood from his sword as he quickened his step, continuing upon his mission. He came upon the group of women near the docks, clad in armor and beast skins. They drew lines of war upon their skin and images of the animal spirits to which they subscribed. He stepped in front of them, calling a general salute but staying a respectful distance. They all looked to him with grief in their eyes. Our men fell and we avenged them. Ratho shook his head, we will give them the honor of valor but now is not the time. It is certain that you will only march to your deaths. And what good is our lives without those we love, they said. Rathos, realizing he was still holding his sword, slid the blade into its sheath and dropped to his knees. He looked up to the women and held his fingers entwined in the promise of the land. I promise all of you that they will be avenged. 
Their lives were not lost in vain, and I will see that their shields are returned to you. The valiant shield bearers exchanged looks to one another and began rubbing the marks from their faces. We will trust you to your word then, Sir Knight. Hunger and Suffering Part 3 The Mage's Council Setting The Kingdom of Magis The seven archmages of the council stared at each other, the round table separating them, yet unifying them as one body and one mind. We are assembled, they all said in unison. King Mejeron entered then and sat upon the foremost seat centered at the northern peak of the circle. We hail the Mage King, they said again in unison. Mejeron held up his hand, ending the formalities, and as he sat upon the seat, his limbs, though aged, moved as a young man's would, his face showing the features of a man thirty years younger, his normally shaven face showing shadows and creases marred his normally worryless features. His robes bore the crests and seals which controlled the castle, and they danced upon him with faint energy ley lines his staff a polished oaken wood with a single rare diamond upon its crest. The mage king sat forward. One of the elder mages in black robes spoke first. I examine the energy signatures upon the battlefield. They follow a path into a realm that I am unable to traverse. Another mage, this time in yellow robes, also spoke. I too was blocked by a similar issue. When I attempted to divine into that realm, there were a barrier the likes of which I have not before seen. A white-robed mage of destructive energy interjected, and not with the strongest of my known spells could I breach that barrier. The barrier lives and moves as if sentient. I do not think it was created by anything that we are yet aware. At this, the mages begin to murmur and talk amongst themselves until Mejeron held up his hand. The archmages of the tower rose at his gesture, each gathering their robes around them as they exited from the room. Mejeron remained deep in contemplation. As the last of the mages departed, a small woman entered into the round table, clad in the armors and robes which bore her spell sword distinction. Fire red hair hung down the small of her back, tied in small knots at the end of five braids. Her impossibly pale skin was nearly translucent. Rumors followed this woman and the people speculated that her skin was alabaster like the mist she had mastered. The Sword of Mist enters the round table, and somehow I sense that she has uncovered more than even the Archmagi. Mejeron looked upon his first general, and he smiled gently as he slowly mouthed the words. In battle you were absolutely exquisite. General Malice returned the smile and bowed slightly. Lord Mejeron, I live to serve. Report then, said the king. My king, many of our water reserves were depleted from the long siege, and the engineers need many months to repair the damage that those Valor savages caused to our pipes and our extraction mechanisms. For the first time, the people are without their luxuries, and the air is ripe with discontent. The nobles fight over small things, and today a man killed another man for a small slight. He is of course being punished, but the state of the land and the people are in great turmoil. Our armies have formed a tighter ring around the cities to contain the possibility of mutinies, but the situation remains tenuous. Mejeron tapped his long fingernails upon the glass which lined the outer stripping of the round table. And what of the barrier? 
Malice responded, It is as you say it is. It lives. I nearly was able to pass through at one point of it, but as I was gaining energy supremacy, a force pushed me back, though not forcefully. Very well, you are dismissed, General Malice, said the king. Malice rose from her kneel and turned to leave, but as she did so, she looked back for a moment. If there is anything I can do, I stand ever at the ready. Majeron stood up from his chair, moving swiftly to a covered mirror upon the far wall. He removed the canvas which concealed its intricate curves. He ran his fingers along the edges in a practiced way, while chanting a divining spell of revealing. The air shimmered with the waves of a spell in effect, and then flowed into the aged wood of the mirror's frame. As it dissolved, a faint inscription slowly danced into view. He remembered the warning of his dying predecessor, and his memory faded and cut to the image of an old man with his robes flickering in color as his blood left his body, the snow blowing fiercely from multiple directions at once. The old mage was looking into the sky and his face were painted with the lines of horror. Majeron was grasping this mage then, blood covering his hands, as he glared into the eyes of the dying mage. Tell me, he yelled again, and he smacked the old mage. The old mage's eyes rolled back into his head and he exhaled his final words. Do not use it. The memory faded away, and the inscription upon the mirror began to glow with a black flame. Majeron wiped the dust away from the glowing words and the ancient language inscribed upon it began to change shape before his eyes. From lexicons formed words that he could then comprehend. This is a portal you may not pass through. This is a portal you may not use. Your realm is Iarden. The destination is Shroud. This is a portal you may not pass through. This is a portal you may not use. You are powerful to read these words, but they will deceive you. This is a portal do not pass through. This is a portal do not use. Majeron read the words and below the inscription were a small signature. It read, Gracious the Black, Grand Mage of the Wizard's Tower. He recast his divining spell, concealing the inscription, and recovered the mirror with the canvas. Not yet, said the king. Not yet. Saga of Stories is a tale of war and fantasy within the world of Iarden, created by myself, the preceding darkness. Each episode released builds upon the lore of the world. New episodes are released every week. If you wish to hear more, you can subscribe to me at sagaofstories.com.